Thanks for checking out this video. My name's Kiara, and I hope you enjoy this message from Redemption Church. Good morning. Ephesians chapter 5, if you have a Bible, Ephesians chapter 5. We're in a series called Redeemed, where we're asking the question, what happens after redemption? When Christ has resurrected, when Christ has redeemed us, then what? Well, then we walk out redemption or we walk as redeemers. And so this relationship with Christ, this transformation of the gospel should affect every area of our lives. And so for the last two weeks, we've been talking about different circles uh, of how living uh, in Christ then changes us. Well, this morning, uh, we're going to look at marriage. And so in this room, we have single people, we have married people, we have divorced people, we have people who want to be married, people who have thrown marriage out as a possibility for all of time for one reason or another. Uh, we have marriages that are going fantastic, some that probably aren't, and you're already feeling slightly uncomfortable, right, uh, as we begin. This morning, my aim is to look at this text and to see what God wanted us to know about marriage and to see what God thinks about marriage and the truths that he wanted preserved for thousands of years so that we could read them, understand them, and apply them in 2019. I say almost every week, the scripture is as relevant today as it has ever been, and that applies to all of it. And so this morning, we're going to see in to these truths. Now, this text is not just directed toward wives and husbands. It is also directed to the entire church as a metaphor runs through it all. And so we will look at this, of course, four wives and four husbands, but also each of us as individuals should see the metaphor inside this text uh, and, that it, and, and that should also move us or uh, should also teach us something. And what it teaches us is Christ's love for us as individuals. So this morning, if you're single and you desire to be married, what an opportunity for you to look in and to see what scripture says. And there might be some work that the Holy Spirit wants to do in your heart as you prepare for that moment. If you're here and you are married, here's my prayer. And my prayer all week for each married couple that would be here this morning, that this text, wherever on this scale of marriage is at a one or a 10 right now, that this text would be helpful for preserving, improving, and making your marriage what God would want it to be. And I would hope that if your marriage really is, um, maybe it's on the brink of ruin, that God would use today for both of you to take some steps back toward a restoration in your marriage. And uh, if you've thrown out marriage completely for one reason or another, um, then just see how much Jesus loves you in this text. I've been married for two and a half years now to my uh, lovely wife and the hottest worship leader around, Lindsay. Uh, she was right up here in the middle. I don't know who wooed back there, but uh, we might have some issues. Okay. Um, and uh, so we've been married for two and a half years now. Uh, we went uh, to Ireland on our honeymoon. Um, more than likely, there we conceived a child and uh, then had that child, you know, however many months after you do that. And um, most of our marriage, I say all the time, Lindsay and I have had like maybe eight hours in America as a married couple where we were not pregnant or 
parents. And uh, we always, uh, I was with a group of friends the other day, and we were talking about different things. And I said, the worst week of our marriage, Lindsay was out of the room at the time, was our honeymoon. It was the worst week of our marriage. And I said, uh, ask her when she gets back. And so Lindsay walks back into the room, and, and they go, hey, Lindsay, when was the worst week of your marriage? And without skipping a beat, she goes, oh, our honeymoon. So here's what I've learned about marriage. It only gets better, okay? It only gets better. Godly marriage, biblical marriage, is supposed to be something and that just keeps getting better. That as you go more into Christ, as you love him more and more of you get stripped away, that you then invest more into the other, the trajectory of godly marriage, I know there's gonna be bumps in the road, is supposed to just keep getting better. And what a weird culture that we live in that loves romance, but distorts and destroys marriage. Loves romance. Really hates marriage as God designed it and as God created it. So this morning, we're gonna go back to the text and we're gonna see what God did indeed create and form in marriage. Now, in this text, there are going to be two primary instructions given. Instruction one is to the husbands, love your wife. Instruction two is going to be to the wives. Submit to your husband. Contentious words in 2019. We won't pretend they're not. We'll look into them and see what they mean and and, and why, why these two words. Why did Paul use these words? Why did Peter use these words? The two most prolific writers on marriage in the Bible use the same language. Why? I think what we have today, this morning, is an opportunity to receive some marriage counseling, not from me, but directly from the Holy Spirit. That as he preserved his words throughout history, he elevated through both writers, Paul and Peter. You have Paul, the most prolific writer of the New Testament, and Peter, Jesus' closest friend, writing the same thing about marriage. Why? Well, one reason is because as all redemption does, it takes us back to the garden, back to the garden. I say this in every wedding that I officiate. The first problem that the world faced was before sin. You know what it was? Man was alone. And so God decided to solve man's problem. And how'd he do it? Through woman. All the ladies say, amen, right? Men, you had a problem, so God sent you a woman to fix it, all right? I had a fashion problem. God sent me Lindsay, right? And now I have a completely new wardrobe. It takes us back to the garden where man is to be reminded that he had a problem that was unsolvable. And so God gave him woman out of his body. And it's to remind us of that truth, that principle, And so in that, God says, now love her. Now, how to love her, we'll get into that in a second, but he's going to go back to that idea. It also takes us back to the garden because then sin did enter into the world. And as God was talking about sin now entered into the world, he uh, is talking to all of the participants of sin. And then when he gets to the woman, he says this, you will have a desire to rule over your husband. 
the consequence of sin right in the beginning. God looks at the woman and says, now here's how it's going to affect you women. For all of time, you're going to have a desire to rule over your husband. So it takes us back to the garden. Now, why else do Paul and Peter, through the Holy Spirit, use these words? Well, I think what God is doing is telling us that if we can figure these two things out on each side, then marriage has a chance of being what it's supposed to be. If we can figure these out, the man loving his wife, the woman submitting in this biblical way to her husband, then marriage has a chance to be what it's supposed to be. And if we believe in the inerrancy and the inspiration of scripture, which we do, then what we have right here is counseling by the Holy Spirit on your marriage. And that is worth listening to. So what's it say? Let's look into it. Starts, well, actually, I'm going to start with the husbands. Most of the sermon today will be geared toward the husbands because most of the text is. And, and, and so we'll just follow the text. Starts off, guys, uh, saying this, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. The word here for love is one of the three words used for love uh, throughout the New Testament. Now, the three words uh, used for love, the first one is uh, eros, and uh, what it typically means or how it's typically shortly described is attraction. Sometimes it's used as like carnal love. It doesn't necessarily have to be sinful, lustful. It could just be talking about like an attractional type of love, right? Uh, then the next one is where we get our word Philadelphia, and what it means is a, a fondness or a friendship uh, type of love. Uh, Sometimes it's translated brotherly affection. And then the third type of love is this agape love, this sacrificial love, and that's the one that's used here. Now, this is the same love that is used in 1 Corinthians 13 when it's talking about that. It's the same love that Jesus uses when he asks Peter, hey, do you love me? Uh, and it's the same love that's typically used to describe Christ's sacrifice on the cross. Interesting side note. In modern weddings, we love to read 1 Corinthians 13, written by Paul on love, but not Ephesians 5, written by the exact same guy. Interesting. This word love is also the word used to, um, as one of the fruits of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. And so this word agape love is an important word throughout the text. Now, let me say briefly before I move on to all the single people out there real quick. Sometimes this text is distorted in Christian circles, uh, distorted in this way. Ah, the only thing then that a, um, a two single people need in order to make a marriage work is agape love. And so um, just go find someone, decide you're going to agape love them and marry them. And it throws out the first two. I've been officiating uh, I've been officiating weddings for a few years now, and I have one coming up this week, and I asked the couple, I said, hey, um, how did this all get started? Here's what they didn't say. They didn't say, I just decided the next woman that walked in, I was going to agape love. It started with, oh, I thought she was hot. And then she said, yeah, I thought he was hot too. I liked his accent, <laughs> right? Then it turned into, then it turned into, um, we realized we had some things in common. We realized we could be friends. This is the natural development of relationship. Single people, don't throw this out. Progress through the natural development of relationship. Attraction to somebody else might be an indicator that that might be who God wants you with, but it's not always an indicator, so be careful. 
So then what do you do? You move it into friendship. You develop that. You see, is there a fondness here? Is there a friendship here? You know what? Some marriages in here, Christian marriages, the issue might not actually be uh, that the husband isn't agape loving his wife and the wife isn't submitting to the husband. The issue might actually be you don't have friendship. That might be the issue. You've gone and you're like, okay, we'll figure this Ephesians 5 thing out. No, assumed in Ephesians 5 is attractional and friendship. That's assumed in the text. What might need to happen in a marriage, actually, before you even get into this, you might just need to be friends again. You might need to develop that fondness of enjoying the other person and figuring out the friendship side of it. But then it is to move into this. Now, here's the scary part, guys. That if this word love is a fruit of the Holy Spirit, it means the only way to do it is to have the Holy Spirit, which means husbands, the only way that you can be the husband that you're supposed to be is if you're filled with the Holy Spirit. You cannot be the husband you are supposed to be apart from the Holy Spirit, which is good news because it means you don't have to do it on your own. It's terrifying news because it means you have a responsibility, gentlemen, to wake up every day and to repent and to get onto your knees and to ask for the Holy Spirit to fill you and to stop with your silly sin and to get serious about your faith and to be filled with the Holy Spirit so that you can love your wives the way you're supposed to. That's your responsibility. And it's the only way Biblical marriage happens the way it's supposed to. Now, how is this love supposed to look? Well, in verse 25, it's supposed to look like this. This love is to be as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. It's mirrored by Christ's love. Christ's love for the church then, we have to understand that. Well, Christ's love was not an earned love. We didn't have to be perfect to get Christ's love. We didn't have to work to receive it. What's the application here? It means husbands. You can't make your wife earn your love. Well, if she looks a certain way or, uh, she, or she used to look a certain way or if she uh, does things the right way or if she is exactly as I want her to be, well, then I will pour out my love. That's not how Christ loved you. If Christ loved you that way, you would have never been loved because you never earned it or deserved it. What does it mean then, gentlemen? It means that we're to pour out love, not contingent upon our wife's performance in whatever area. We're to love her. Secondly, oh, by the way, in that, um, one warning is that when you only give love, when the person responds or becomes who you want them to be, that isn't love. That's control, abuse, and manipulation. That's what that is. And that's sinful, guys and girls. Also, it's not wrong to want your spouse to change. Single people, there's this like weird thing now in modern day where it's like, I just want to marry somebody who's not going to make me change. Well, then you're not ready for marriage. That's the point of marriage. It's to change you. That's why God gave it to us, to sanctify us and to, to, to mold us into somebody new and better and more of the image of his son. 
So don't look and say, okay, well, I'm just gonna find the person who, who doesn't wanna challenge me or doesn't wanna change me. They just love me for me and who I am. What if you're a jerk? You should change. <laughs> Secondly, how is this love supposed to look? Verse 28. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Now, this is going directly back to Jesus' words when he says, love your neighbor as yourself. And he's just saying, love your spouse as yourself. Now, this is much more than just, hey, do you like yourself? Now go like your spouse. It's much, much deeper than that. In Scripture, when we're encouraged to love somebody like we love ourselves, we also have to realize that that's not permission to love yourself more. What that text doesn't mean is, oh, you better go learn how to love you. No, the text is assuming that you already know how to love yourself. Let me say it another way. The text is assuming that you're already pretty darn selfish. That, that your needs already do come first. And that you are good and I am good at prioritizing me. What, what the uh, text then does is it hops back to the garden, which redemption always goes back to the garden. Hops back to the garden. And uh, in the garden, there is this statement. Paul quotes it. He says, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. We have here biblical math. One plus one equals one. And this is the idea of marriage, that two people become one. And so when he says, love your wife, husbands, like you love yourself, what Paul is reminding them is that you two are now one. In other words, it's not loving your wife um, like she was you. It's loving your wife because she is you. You are now one. What this is, is about totally obliterating selfishness. So the Holy Spirit is looking in at marriage and he's saying, okay, what do I need to tell the guys to be worried about? Selfishness. And what this text is supposed to do is completely obliterate that. <coughs> saying, husband, when you think about you, your needs, emotional, physical, sexual, whatever they might be, you have forgotten the point of marriage. When you begin to think as an individual again, you have forgotten the point of marriage. You don't get to just think about you anymore. You are now both of you. You don't just get to plan for your day anymore. Your day is now both of your days. You don't just get to spend on what you want. Your money is now both of your money. That goes both ways, ladies. I could go on and on. The point is this, that loving your uh, wife, like you love your own body, is recognizing that you are now both half of each other. You've heard the term, he's my better half, she's my better half. It's actually a pretty good term because it reminds us that we're now half of one whole. That that was the point of marriage. To explain it, it would be like saying, the same way you wouldn't be mean to your leg, you ought not to be mean to your wife. The same way you wouldn't do anything to jeopardize your own body, you ought not to do anything to jeopardize your own wife. The same way you don't neglect, hopefully, brushing your teeth. Something as, as, as worldly as that, you ought not to neglect your wife and her health in every area. 
You are now both of you. What it's saying, guys, is the same energy, attention to detail, and effort that you put in to taking care of you, you now put into taking care of both of you. That's godly marriage. That's what he means by love. Now, where does this lead? Where does this lead? Well, we're to see Christ as the example. Where did it leave him? The cross. That this played out, because then everyone, we always ask this, well, how far, how far, how far do I have to go? How far do I have to go in loving my wife? Well, we go as far as Christ. And where did it leave Christ? At the cross. That's where it left him. Husbands, then you're Jesus in that way to your wife, in that way. Now, done with the guys. Ladies, here the primary instruction is wives, submit to your own husbands, ask to the Lord. And then he says it slightly differently in verse 33. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. The same commands to the guys. I think he's just slightly adjusting his terminology here at the beginning and the end of the text, submit, respect. Now, what's interesting is in our uh, Bible, the way it's split up, we always start this passage at verse 22. But we have to go back up and look at verse 21 real quick. Verse 21 says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. There's an assumed mutual submission. But then Paul goes more specifically into marriage and he says, and wives, submit to your own husbands. Well, why? Why? Then immediately he gives a reason. He says, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. Now we can take out contentious words in 2019, like head or submit. And what we're left with is a metaphor. This is basic SAT prep. As one is to one, one is to one. And what's the metaphor? As Christ is to the church, the husband is to the wife. This is the clear teaching through the metaphor. Now, again, here, we can throw out scripture or trust that God knows something that we don't. Also, let us remember that scripture grading against us at times is not the sign that God isn't good or in it. It's the sign that he is. Because if scripture never grates us, then we're God, not him. But, of course, we must say what this text doesn't mean. And we'll see what it doesn't mean as we look at what it does mean. The second thing we're supposed to see here is this. This type of submission, what it means here, what it's saying here, who does it make you like? Who does it make you like? The barefoot woman in the kitchen? right? The proverbial whatever country song, listen, do everything I say, raise my kids, everything, all of that. And you know, all the stereotypes that we throw on. There's nothing wrong with that, by the way. Um, those are just the stereotypes that come around uh, in 2019 around this type of thing. But what does it mean? The powerless uh, woman? No. You know what this type of submission makes you like? Jesus. It makes you like Jesus. Philippians chapter 2. We have this beautiful picture of Jesus. And what do we see in that? 
We see Jesus as fully God. Jesus uh, in, as a part of the Trinity in perfect relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And it says that Jesus did not consider his equality with God as something to grasp. Instead, he did what? Submitted. He submitted out of it. This type of submission then is to make you Christ. It is to make you Jesus in the marriage. What we're seeing here is this beautiful picture then. You say, well, how far do I carry it out? How far did Jesus carry it out? Where did it leave Jesus, ladies? On the cross. So then here's what you have. When the husband is who he is supposed to be in the marriage, he becomes Jesus in his sacrificial love and ends up on the cross. When the wife is who she is supposed to be in the marriage, submitting in this biblical way, then she becomes Jesus and they meet at the cross. What a beautiful picture that both husband and wife then are Jesus to each other and meet at the cross, which is to be the center of marriage, Christ In this case, then, both the man and the woman play Jesus to each other in the marriage. This elevates, by the way, the purpose and the point of Christian marriage. It means Christian marriage is something we should pursue. It means it's something we should celebrate. It means something we should fight to preserve at every, every chance we can. So where does this leave us? If you're married, let me ask a question. Does your marriage reflect the biblical understanding of marriage? Said another way, husbands, are you loving your wife with a Holy Spirit love? If not, the text would teach us it's probably out of selfishness. Repent. Wives, are you being Jesus-like and humbling yourself as Christ did? If not, it is probably out of Pride. Repent. Does your marriage need work? Let me give you three steps at the end of our talk here. Number one, prepare your heart for a humble, honest conversation with your spouse where you are open to the Holy Spirit revealing your sin, not the others. Step two, seek outside biblical guidance. We'd love to help you as a church internally. Step three, repeat steps one and two, because that's really all there is. Repeat steps one and two. Go back and humble yourselves. I think that Holy Spirit-inspired conversation between husband and wife, where you really get down to the deep issue. If you're willing to do that, can turn marriages around. Some of you have walked through seasons where that didn't happen, right? Or, or you've seen that not happen and you've seen the results. It's worth trying, friends. It's worth trying. If you're single, start with the guys. Now, I was once a single guy, so I have much more to say about this. Not being a single woman, I have very little to say about that. <laughs> so um, we'll start with the guys. 
Guys, if you're single, what does this mean? First, first and primary, and this could be single, the first time single at, you know, 16 or 66 or whatever else. Um, learn what it means to love with the Holy Spirit love. Guys, your first step as a single dude is to learn sacrificial love in every area that you can. And the more you learn and develop sacrificial love and the ability to do that and to put down your selfishness, the better you're getting yourself ready for marriage. A marriage will stretch it to a new level, but you might as well practice as much as you can beforehand. Second thing I want to say to the single guys There is a progression of relationship, physical, emotional, relational, that is appropriate to follow biblically. Follow it. The best way to point it out is by somebody who doesn't, Michael Scott from The Office, okay? There's a great scene where Michael meets Holly, his future wife in the show, the very first time he meets her, and he says, I love her. And he starts going crazy, and Jim walks in and says, you need to be her friend first. And then the whole season is about Michael developing his friendship with Holly. And it's the only relationship that goes right. Guys, single guys, don't jump the natural steps of relationship too quickly. Physically, sexually, relationally, emotionally, all of it. Let it develop. Be the guy in there. Be the selfless guy. Third thing for you single guys too, by the way, especially the younger ones. Learn to be godly men and just grow up. Pursue a career. Be able to make a living. Show responsibility. Learn how to take care of people. Have responsibilities. Be responsible. Grow in that and get yourself ready because someday you will have to take care of more than just you. And Mother's Day will not be, um, you know, you still, the symbolic of you still being dependent upon mom, okay? Grow up. Third, nope, I'm done. Women. Ladies, here's all I can say. And I'll say it through the greatest example of a single woman I've ever known, which is my, my sister uh, who got married at 30. And I can just say from observation, single ladies, here's my best advice. Do what she did. Continuously pursue Jesus. Just continuously pursue Jesus and learn how to submit to Jesus. And just keep doing that and keep practicing it. And just keep learning more and more. Hopefully, Hopefully then when you get married, that dude is close enough to Jesus that it doesn't feel all that different. <laughs> but since he ain't gonna be perfect like Jesus, what a better way for you to even grow then <laughs> to take what you practice with Jesus as you were submitting to him and to apply that into the marriage. The last group I would say is the group who um, this types of sermons hurt for whatever reason, and there's a lot of them. And one of the maybe more 
emotional little moments I've had in life. I listened to an 89-year-old guy, 79-year-old guy in a Bible study who had never been married. Tear up, talking about his desire to have been married. And then we asked, you still want to be married? And you know what he said? 79. Yep. Oh, it was a quiet room. It was a quiet room. For all of us, or any of us in here, for whatever reason, talks like this hurt. Um, that hurts okay. And my encouragement is just take it to Jesus. Take it to Jesus and rely on the good people that God has put you in your life, has put in your life around you. There is no cheap fix. There is no quick prayer. Um, I didn't live that life until, you know, I was 79. I lived until 30, so I feel like I can relate in, a, in maybe a small way to some of you. Um, and I would say just pour it into Jesus. In a moment here, we're going to take communion. And when we take communion, um, we're going to take communion a little differently than we normally do. You don't have to start moving around yet. I'm going to ask all the married couples to take communion together. And it's not to make everyone else feel bad. It's to remind us that marriage is really important. Marriage is really important. And then all the single people are going to take communion by themselves, okay? And by single, I mean not married, okay? Um, are going to take communion by themselves. And you pray for whatever God would have you pray for in that moment. Maybe it's a future spouse. I prayed for 10 years. God sent me the right person at the right time. And guess what he did? I'll start crying. He sent me the right person at the right time. Um, so pray that. Pray that. And let God speak to you, whether it's in your hurt or um, your excitement. Let him speak to you in that. Now, as we do that, let me tell you the box that all of this is wrapped up in. Not the bow, the box. It's all wrapped up in verse 32, which says, this mystery is profound. And I am saying, the mystery he's referring to is the two becoming one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. The box that Christian marriage is supposed to be all wrapped up in is understanding the gospel. And what he means here, he's saying that as a husband leaves his good family uh, for something greater, this wife that he now has grown attracted to and developed a friendship for and now wants to agape love, as the husband leaves his good family to enter into that marriage, it reflects what Christ did. But when Christ did it, it was different. See, now when a husband leaves his wife, he's leaving his wife who he's um, grown attracted to, who he's developed a friendship with, and who he trusts. But when Christ left, left the perfect trinity, he left for uh, somebody who there was no attraction. He left for someone who wasn't his friend, who was his enemy. When Jesus left uh, his heavenly father to cling to you and to cling to me, it wasn't because we were worthy of that love. The scariest part of marriage is becoming fully vulnerable and intimate and close and exposed to another person. That's the scariest part of marriage. 
but it's less scary because you grow this trust and this friendship with them. But Jesus made himself fully vulnerable, completely exposed and intimate, not to someone who he could trust, but to somebody, all of us, who rejected him and killed him for it. Yet he still did it. And he clung to you. That love and understanding that love is then to be the box that holds marriage in. So as you take communion, also dwell in that love. Dwell in that love. And then from that love, you learn to love your spouse. Thanks for watching this video. If you want to learn more about our church, go ahead and click the link in the description or head on over to experienceredemption.com. Have a great week, guys.